Hey everyone, Maria here. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to quickly share an exciting announcement with you all. On the 30th of March, I'm going to be in Frankfurt at Camelot Supply Chain Day. The event is going to provide insights and use cases from industry leaders and Camelot practitioners on a range of subjects, including next generation planning, risk-aware planning and decision-making, and end-to-end -end integration of planning and execution. I'm so excited because not only have I been invited to deliver the opening keynote, but I'm also going to be moderating a panel which includes the likes of Bjorn Neil Kirchner, who's the Corporate VP of Supply Chain Management at Henkel, Laurent Morineau, who is the VP Supply Chain at Wacker Chemie AG, and Dr. Franz Merath, who is SVP Supply Chain and Business Process Management at Evanik. If you're interested in finding out more about the latest topics in supply chain transformation, I would definitely recommend that you come along. For more information on the speaker lineup and to book your complimentary space, be sure to head over to Camelot's website at camelot-mc.com. Once again, that's camelot-mc.com. I look forward to seeing you there. I mean, uh, you know, Lean provides, I would say, the path, you know, to, to help us get better. And it's all about continual improvement. So we're not looking for the best solution. We're looking for a better solution. And then again, we look for a better solution. So if you do things like value stream mapping, for example, you know, you should be doing it on an annual basis. So you've improved, you made a progress, you, improve, you made your improvements, and then you look at, okay, here's where I am again today and I need to improve. So, so, so that'll help drive it. But, you know, I, I think using concepts like Hoshin Country, for example, uh, which is, uh, you know, building on st strategy and developing, you know, going from your vision to your deployment is is, is key in these types of uh, environments where you need to really look at linking it together because people will, will, will respond to the way you measure them, right? And the way you compensate them. You're listening to Transform Talks, a podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. My guest this week is someone I've known for a few years, Brad Zack. Brad is currently the Managing Director at Best Lean Solution, a management consulting company specializing in the application of lean and digital methods. I got to know Brad when he was directly in the industry leading operations in Europe for IAC, a leading automotive components company. Brad has also been an executive leader at companies like GE and the Lear Corporation, and since receiving his formal lean training in Japan over 25 years ago, Brad has gone on to design and lead numerous transformation projects across the globe. Now, I'm listing all of these accomplishments to highlight that Brad boasts an unprecedented depth of knowledge when it comes to helping companies achieve long-term sustainable results. During our conversation today, Brad and I discuss why lean methodology has endured for so long and why it is essential for continuous improvement. We also really got into how to break down silos and why there is such a disconnect between sourcing and logistics and how we can go about reducing the strain on today's supply chain. I hope you enjoy this episode of Transform Talks. 
Hey, Brad, welcome to Transform Talks. Thank you, Maria. Happy to be here. So you and I go way back. I mean, we've, we've been to events together for some time, manufacturing events, supply chain events, right? And uh, you've got a pretty interesting career with uh, a wide variety of sort of roles in different industries, don't you? So we're going to explore all of that in here, but I just wanted to give our audience information that Brad really is someone that has, uh, you know, done quite a lot. So I, w I guess I want to ask you first, maybe a general question. You know, the last couple of years have been pretty hard for everyone. What's your state of view for this year for manufacturing supply chain for the industry? Well, I think that there's still a lot of uh, supply chain strains uh, as we have China recovering. Uh, you know, they just recently opened up their uh, uh, COVID lockdowns. So so there's some, some movements from that side of the side of it. Uh, there's been a lot of constraints with the shipping industry, you know, getting the goods over, uh, especially from the Far East. So so I think that's that's going to continue. There is some some continued shift, of course, of course, from manufacturing going uh, returning back to to America. So so I think there's some some different thoughts being given uh, uh, with, the, with the strains that have been going on, uh, uh, you know, with long lead times uh, that we've been experiencing. So and then you've got, of course, the, the, the war in Ukraine going on. That's also uh, affecting uh, uh, the prices and uh, especially the oil pricing. So so there's quite a lot of uh, factors playing out. And uh, I think it's going to continue to be a difficult year. And uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll start to come out of it. What's your biggest lesson for the last couple of years? Um, I would say that uh, companies are reevaluating, um, you know, their supply chains. Um, especially, especially given the long lead times uh, to get to customers. If you look at any of the consumer products you're trying to buy, whether it's from furniture to cars to to any type of product, the lead times have increased significantly, and uh, you know that's really brought into the forefront some of the geopolitical risks uh, that that we've seen, um, as well as uh, you know the resiliency of the supply chain, which which is very long. And, uh, you know, while you may be getting a good price, if you can't get that product to the customer on time, you may be losing a lot of the revenues that are coming from that. And, and, and I think that's causing a lot of companies to reevaluate exactly, you know, where they're going to be heading and what they're going to be doing. But, you know, me being with a lean background, I'm always looking at things. How do we make things quicker, faster? How do we reduce the lead times? And I spend you know, many of my years working with companies to, to reduce their lead time so that they can react quickly to new trends, they can react quickly to customer demand, and, you know, that can also dictate a better price for, for the companies. But if you cannot deliver the product and uh, you've got your supply chain stretched where you have uh, goods waiting in the ports, you've got goods that are not able to be shipped because there's, uh, you know, things going on where the, the, the offshore companies can't produce, then you know you're 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 losing uh, your margin and you're losing your potential sales. So so I think that's that's one of the key things that that I've seen. I want to talk to you about lean because you're a lean expert, or you know you've worked in it a long time. Uh, I know that you get some formal training back in in Japan, and I want to ask you about lean transformation work because it seems like we've been talking about it for a long time, uh, and a lot of different methodologies have come and gone. I mean, I've been in the industry for a while now and, uh, and their buzzwords have been flying around since I can remember. Um, but tell me, you know, is lean here to stay now in this new world? Is it needed more than ever 
And are supply chain and manufacturing leaders using it? Yeah, I mean, Lean has been, you know, it's been there for, you know, uh, many years. I mean, it, I, I remember still in this 1970s and 80s when uh, Toyota has been going through through their transformation and watching, you know, uh, them at work and their videos and different approaches on how they've been approaching things. And, you know, it's no different from, from today, but, uh, you know, I, th I think there, there's two key components to it. One, one, is, one is the tools that you can use from, from Lean perspective and building a Lean operation system that's going to support it. And then the other part of it is the culture, you know, where the companies really need to embrace the culture and cannot really be living quarter to quarter, but need to be focused on the true north and, and following, you know, following the path of, that they've set out. And the companies that have done so, you know, they see a lot of success with that. Uh, the ones that, you know, it's a flavor of the month and it, it, it doesn't stick, right? So, you know, typically when I approach uh, uh, looking at any type of uh, situation where we're trying to improve the productivity, profitability, or reducing the lead time, we use, uh, we start off typically with value stream mapping, where we map out the processes. We, uh, we try to understand exactly what goes on. Um, I typically walk the process with the team, coaching them from back of the process to the front of the process to make sure that they really understand what goes on and spend the time to, to map out all the processes, making sure that everybody understands uh, what goes on. And just, just, you know, just getting the team together and, and, and going through that process, you know, it's, it's quite eye-opening and, and also helps uh, them to, to understand, you know, the full picture because many people understand pieces of the picture, but they don't see the full picture of the actions that they're taking and how that's impacting the, the overall process. So, you know, starting off VSM is a great uh, starting point and uh, understanding, you know, your, your current state, uh, building your future state, and then uh, building a roadmap on how you get there and setting up the future. And tools like 3P, where you actually build uh, your model to scale, for example, where what did it look like before and what is it going to look like in the future and seeing it in, in, uh, in reality and, and building it helps a lot to bring uh, clarity into, into where, where you need to be heading. So, so, so I, think, I think those are tools that are very important uh, to be used. And then building a culture around an operating system where you've got a uh, set of uh, key pillars that you're going to be building on, whether it's starting from 5S, where you organize things, uh, to building up your your basically your your house. It's uh, it's very important to to uh, have a structured approach to it, and um, and then have a full leadership support because uh, it needs to be led from leadership down. So so there there's a lot of things that go together with it, but uh, I would say the two important things you know are, are the tools. The operating system, you know, operating system, and the uh, and the uh, management support uh, uh, to to make that happen. It's important to get all of those three things right. And you and I have talked about this before because I'm I'm really keen on talking this year about um, uh, cross functional collaboration. Right? You know, it's uh, call it that, call it breaking down silos. Again, that's something else that we've been talking about for so long, and it just seems. Like you should be able to do it, yet it exists in every company, large or small, right? So, you know, I want to talk to you about something you're passionate about, which is the disconnect between some of the, you know, different departments within an organization. Uh, so, for example, between sourcing and logistics, for instance, 
You know, th sometimes they're operating in silos. They're, they're, you know, I think you and I talked about this, how like everyone's looking at their little square meter, right? And not understanding how their decisions impact something else. So first of all, how did we get to this point? Have we always been in this point and can we get out? I think it depends on, on the maturity of it, uh, the, the leadership model and where they are. But what I've, what I've found over the years is that the larger the organization, the organization gets, the, the smaller the span of control, the more it's driven based on, you know, I would say unit decision making where the organization becomes so large that each of the units is making the best decisions for themselves, but not necessarily the best decision uh, for the company. Uh, so. You know, sometimes the the Hoshin Canary um, kind of kind of approach is is missing, where all, all of the links are not connected together. You may have a strong uh, direction uh, from top down, but uh, across the organizations, there may not be a very good alignment, and, and that's what's causing causing that. So I'll give you an example. You know, you may have an organization that you know is measuring. Um, uh, let's say the 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 price of logistics, so they're looking at getting you know. Uh, bulk shipments, they're combining things together, they're getting a really good price, um, you know, to, and, and on the paper, it looks, it looks great. And then the sourcing organization that's looking, uh, looking to get the lowest price product. But, you know, you may be getting a price for a dollar uh, out of somewhere in Far East, but if it costs you $10 to deliver it to, to North America, then the total cost may be $11 versus uh, buying it for $5 in America, but getting $1 delivery charge, right? So, so it's it's that total cost that uh, I think sometimes uh, gets missed uh, that I don't see, and, and not only that. I mean, there's also uh, uh, things like um, understanding the uh, the uh, overall uh, lead time cost. So so in many of the industries, you know, you have very fast changing uh, uh, pace in terms of the technology. You know, where before it might have been four or five years before you change to a new product. Today. It may be six, seven months before you change to a new product. So imagine if you have in your lead time, you may have, uh, uh, you know, 16 weeks lead time in uh, on the boat from the time it leaves uh, uh, somewhere in Far East and before it gets to North America or to Europe. And, uh, you know, there is a decision that, hey, we're going to go ahead and uh, change that product because we had some quality issues with this. We need to redesign the product. So we're going to stop that and uh, we're going to go to a new component. But you know, in the meantime, you've got all these components in the pipeline that you can't react. I mean, if you have a supply chain that's, you know, two weeks long that you have or, or one week long, then you, you probably end up with a one week loss. If you have 16 weeks out there in the supply chain, you're going to have 16 weeks uh, worth of losses uh, that uh, are going to be uh, impacting you. So so that's that's I think is is is, is very important. And also. You know, I think it's also just just the visions. I mean, and, and, and the directional goals. So, for example, if the company, you know, the saying is the saying is and I don't know if you heard this before, but the saying is show me how you're going to measure me and I'll show you how I'm going to behave. So if I'm responsible, for example, I'm a function, I have a functional responsibility for for logistics or so let's say for sourcing. And, uh, you know, I'm being measured on getting the cheapest uh, price product, then if I can get a che cheapest cost uh, out of, let's say, um, I don't know, Vietnam versus North America, then I'm going to get that. But as, as we discussed, it may cost, you know, three times more in logistics to get it down to North America. Um, but I may have to pay a, a supplier there, maybe double, but I'm still saving. I will not be, you know, 
driving the right behavior because I'm not being measured on that. I'm only being measured on the unit cost and somebody else is being measured on how effective they are in getting that product. So I think that that's where sometimes these disconnects take place and also some of these hidden costs that we don't see in terms of obsolescence, right? Where I've seen companies writing off millions of dollars of obsolescence because, uh, you know, the, the supply chain was much longer than what the end customer was willing to pay. So you'd have to write it off. And, and those are the things that sometimes don't uh, play a role in that decision-making process. So, so yeah, th those are some of, the, some of my observations in the industry. But, you know, it's, it seems like a relatively thing to resolve, like you say, in terms of maybe changing some of the metrics. But, you know, I did, we had a recent event um, the end of last year, and I did a sort of like a little impromptu survey to the audience. And I, we were talking about sustainability. And I asked how many of you guys here um, are looking to improve sustainability within your company. 100%. All of the hands went up. And then I said, okay, how many of you here are measured on sustainability um, success? Some hands went up, you know, a good portion of them. And then I asked, how many of you are remunerated uh, on sustainability success? And hardly anybody raised their hands. And so it's, it's, again, seems logical on one hand to measure people, remunerate them, incentivize them to drive long-term, well, to drive goals and objectives for the business, but yet we're not really doing it. Is it, again, down to this siloed mentality, this sort of, um, you know, again, this non-cooperation within organizations and maybe even with suppliers to find, you know, the overall goal? And, and again, how do we break down these silos? Is, it, is Lean the answer? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, Lean provides, I would say, the path, you know, to, to help us get better. And it's all about continual improvement. So we're not looking for the best solution. We're looking for a better solution. And then again, we look for a better solution. So if you do things like value stream mapping, for example, you know, you should be doing it on an annual basis. So you've improved, you made a progress, you, improve, you made your improvements, and then you look at, okay, here's where I am again today, and I need to improve. So, so, so that'll help drive it. But you know, I, I think using concepts like Hoshin Country, for example, uh, which is, uh, you know, building on str strategy and developing, you know, going from your vision to your deployment is, is, is key in these types of uh, environments where you need to really look at linking it together because people will, will, will respond to the way you measure them, right? And the way you compensate them. So as you, as you mentioned, if, you, if somebody is measured on sustainability, and that's one of the key visions that needs to cascade down through the organization. And, uh, you know, your department, you know, is tasked with sustainability and, and with other, other objectives as well that they need to drive. If there is no direct link between the, I would say, the incentive program together with the goals and objectives, as well as with, uh, uh, with uh, you know, driving the vision, then you're not going to have the right behavior because uh, at the end of the day, people will do what uh, what is asked for them, what they're being measured on, and what they're being compensated on. And and if sustainability is not one of those things, then you know, in my mind, that that is not something that's going to be sustainable uh, to, for the long term. So so I think the linkage, you know, using tools like Hoshin Canary that can help with that, can help uh, uh, connect those dots and and make that uh, uh, proper measurable. And again, you know, what is the percentage of, you know, if I'm if I'm getting a bonus of 100%, you know, what percentage am I getting based on sustainability? Is it 10%? Is it 5%? Is it 40%? How important is it to the to the organization to drive that behavior? And and that will 
that will drive you know then the 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 reactions from the people so so yeah you know a lot of companies may talk about sustainability they, they want to do it but at the end it comes down to maybe other variables such as cost uh, that will drive it i've seen a lot in the automotive industry as well drive towards uh, you know renewable uh, uh, products uh, uh, using different types of um, uh, alternatives to let's say to plastics you know using wood fiber um, and, and you can do that and uh, and and I've seen it in some of the high-end models where they use it where you can actually recycle that that product uh, but it is a higher cost and and it is something that the company has to decide yes we're gonna do it uh, or you know in 90% of the cases they decide not to do it because the cost is so prohibitive so so I, I think it's also finding the balance finding the technologies investing really if you're really interested in also creating sustainable solutions, investing into those technologies to make them competitive so that you can provide something that has a similar value to, to what, what you have today. And how do we drive that innovation, right, to be able to be more competitive as well with sustainable solutions? You know what, it go, I go back to the point that you raised earlier. You know, companies have quite a lot of wastage and obsolescence. And, uh, and I think that, you know, the cost conversation isn't that simple, is it? Because... Uh, there's ways to improve uh, in, improve things like with becoming a lot leaner, become you know using continuous improvement and getting rid of some of that obsolescence and and wastage. But do you also think that um, I think that the conversation should probably involve people outside of their normal departments? I mean, for instance, I I look at how we were before COVID. Before COVID, supply chain seemed to be one of these back office functions that was mostly cost driven. You know, they were driven by CFOs or, you know, I always like to beat on the poor CFOs, but the, the, the finance teams were driving uh, the supply chain to reduce costs. Now we're looking at, you know, different types of transformation, sustainability. We're looking at a number of different things that are trying to, you know, becoming resilient, agile, especially in this kind of climate. So do you think that the climate lent itself to perhaps putting supply chain at the forefront and changing it from this cost center to becoming something more absolutely i mean i mean uh, you know the trends over the last i would say 30 40 years that i've seen have been to move towards smaller and smaller production lots so where where before you might have been producing you know a million and a half uh, products uh, for a particular let's say uh, car or platform you know today it may only be eighty thousand, right so so you need to be you need to be more agile, more uh, uh, more focused on 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 how you operate. How do you make mixed products in a, in in the same line? How do you set it up in a way that you can produce multiple number of products on the same line, without having to change over, without having to build excess inventories, building all these additional inventories that are costing you money and and obsolescence. So so you know becoming becoming. Uh, more efficient in this, in this environment is key. And so is, I think, leadership in those areas where I've seen a lot in the past where companies were more driven with, with as you mentioned, finance executives where they look at the numbers, but they don't really understand, you know, the processes. And, and I've seen a continued shift towards uh, more of an operations uh, driven organizations where you're looking at, you know, the most efficient ways to, to build a product uh versus uh you know finding a, a financing solution for it you know how to, how, how to achieve that so so i think i think that's that's where some of that education also is missing and also you know i think in in, the, in all the departments that really need to be everybody really needs to be doing lean 
not just the, the operations team, the supply chain team. It needs to be really at, uh, at the heart of the organization. So finance should be doing lean, you know, uh, sourcing should be doing lean, logistics, all of these departments should be engaged in that and should have an, an operating, you know, there should be a lean operating model or system that helps drive the, the performance of the company. So, and the ones that embrace it, uh, you know, have uh, very good results and, uh, and the ones that don't, uh, uh, you know, continue to go from flavor of the month, right? So, so I, I, think, I think that's, that's what's important. And if you look at, even looking at, you know, Toyota, they're looking for incremental improvements. You know, they're not looking for having superstars. They're looking for everybody doing a little bit better everybody improving and then if you add that all up right i mean this all adds up and generates the results we're not looking for i would rather have you know um out of the organization let's say that you have in in you know of eighty thousand, if if even five percent or ten percent of them were involved versus having you know 50 superstars i would rather take that small percentage of ten percent of all the people that improve than having 50 superstars that uh, drive major results because it's going to be a flavor of the moment. And, and also it's going to be something that may last, may not last. But if you're building that depth in the organization and you continue to repeat uh, those improvements on, on a sustained basis, you're building uh, something that's, that's there to last versus uh, uh, relying on uh, key individual strengths. So again, it's, it's all you know, process focused. How do you improve your processes continually to, to get to the higher level versus uh, you know, focusing on, on um, you know, ad hoc improvements that generate a lot of value, but, but may not be sustainable. Now, this is an interesting question. I don't know if you're in the best position to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because you're such a lean advocate, you know. Uh, do you think that there are, there's still the appetite from an enterprise-wide perspective in supply chain for lean? I've seen ups and downs with lean and, and with organizations. And, and I think it's, it's all uh, goes back to me. It all goes back to, to leadership of the organizations uh, and uh, what they're trying to achieve and, and how they look at things. It goes back to the, I mean, I mean the, the training, the education that we had. I mean, if somebody hasn't been exposed to lean, does not understand the benefits, it is very difficult for them to to understand and comprehend that if they spent, you know, most of their life not deploying any of those tools. So, so I, I think, I think overall, um, it, 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 it's a long journey. I mean, it's not something you're going to get uh, results that you're going to sustain in a, in a very short period of time. And, and I think that's, what's uh, discouraging for many companies where, you know, they're expecting, Hey, I'm going to start now. And in the next quarter, I'm going to have a, you know, hundred percent improvement in profitability. Well, you may have, you know, if you if you're really that bad, but it, but it may also take some time to to get there. And uh, I, I think I think a lot of companies don't uh, don't uh, look don't have that long term vision, you know, where they're looking at ahead and forging ahead with that. So that's why it's, it sometimes becomes uh, you know a start and fail type of type of activity. Uh, but the ones that embrace it, uh, that use it, that live it, and and embrace it at all levels of organizations are the ones that succeed. I want to ask you what you're excited about for this year uh, in terms of supply chain, logistics, manufacturing. What, what excites you about the future? Well, what excites me, to be honest with you, is, is working with companies that, that, that really see the benefits of Lean, that want to make things happen um, and, uh, you know, see the results and, and, and are enthusiastic about it. So, 
So I, I typically always partner up with the, with with organizations that you know that first have that that um, I would say that want you know hey we want to do this you know we want to get better um, because that's 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 the start right you you need to want to do it you do do need to want to improve and you need to be excited about it right so I I typically you know when I work with teams what gets me excited is is if I'm you know doing a, a lean activity with them. And they're finding things that they never thought of. You know, they had the aha moments of discovering, hey, why are we doing it this way? You know, how come how come we haven't thought of doing it that way, right? And uh, kind of awakening, you know, their um, I would say uh, their their new know-how, so their new ideas on how they can do things and uh, and finding ways to improve it. I mean, you know, I, I work with uh, with some of the some of the uh, for example suppliers I was working in the past. You know, we we're able to reduce the lead time in half just by, you know, going through, asking the right questions, getting the team on the same page and uh, discovering, hey, why are we doing this, right? Does that even make sense? And getting everybody aligned. So I think that that helps also. The lean kind of brings people cross-functionally. So typically when I do events as well, I do it with cross-functional teams from different organizations. And that helps a lot to, to uh, get everybody on the same page and also to get the buy-in and and the support, you know, cross-functionally. So so it's really powerful and and it should be deployed, you know, cross-functionally across organizations uh, as we go forward. So I'm, I'm really excited about when I when I see teams motivated, making changes and uh, seeing the improvement. That gets me really excited. All right. So before I let you go, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I ask my guests all, uh, you know, the same final question: What book? would you say has had the biggest impact in your life, whether it's from a personal or a professional standpoint and why? First book that, I, that I've read that really made an impact was, was The Goal by Eli Goldratt. And uh, that was early on in my, as I was getting into, you know, lean and that lean journey, it, it got me thinking really differently. So, so it really exposed to me saying that, hey, how are we really manufacturing things? How are we measuring things in, 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 in the manufacturing environment and, uh, and in the supply chain. And what are the things that we should be, we should be thinking differently, right? You know, the, 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 especially in the old ways, old days, it was, you know, the more working process you build, the more security you have, you know, the, the, the more, more uh, uh, efficient or productive you're going to be. But, you know, the, the book really introduced me and said, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's how much do you ship actually out the door? What are you selling? What's your cash flow? Uh, you know, so so it really got me thinking about uh, things differently. And that got me started in my lean journey. So I would recommend, uh, you know, reading that book as a kind of a first start uh, to anyone, uh, because it did get me going in many directions from Toyota production system to total productive maintenance to five as visual management. And, uh, and I had a real, real, I would say a real eye-opening uh, reading that book uh, to get myself uh, going. Um, so this was many years ago, but this was the, I would say the book that I really enjoyed and got me started on my lean journey. Brad, I want to thank you for being here at Transform Talks and for sharing your insight and your experience with us. And I know I'm sure we're going to see you again in other things. I want to wish you the best of luck. Uh, and thanks for being here. I really appreciate the opportunity, Maria, to be here and uh, thank you so much uh, and really looking forward to contributing in the future as well. Thank you so much.